someone once said, and I don't know who it was, but uh, made the comment that oftentimes days and sometimes weeks can be long, but years go by quickly, and that is so true as I stand here this morning. Certainly there were some days that were long and weeks that were long, maybe even months that were long, but I still remember standing over in that house next door before I first stood in this pulpit that week thinking, what in the world have I gotten myself into as I looked out that little window over at the church thinking, how, how can I lead this body? And, and actually felt a lot of trepidation during that week as I made preparation and never did I dream that 42 years later now as I dismissed the children, <laughs> I would be sta standing in this pulpit. Uh, at least it's not my wife back there waving at me. She's over here. So, so this morning, um, I thought about what do I do this morning in this particular pulpit, this particular morning? What do I share? And I wrestled with that. And then I thought about what I would share next week in that particular setting and realized I wasn't going to have much time to share in that setting. And realized that if I'm going to say something and have time to say it, that this is the morning that I should do it. And so that's exactly where I'm intending to go this morning. I want to just share some reflections on 42 years of God's faithfulness to me and to my family. And so you'll have to indulge me a bit. I plan to start with a text that will not be unfamiliar to you. I think it's on the screen or will be on the screen, Isaiah 64, 4. And I eventually, Lord willing, hope to get to the end and be back in Romans as I close this morning. But in the middle of that, I just want to share some reflections of God's faithfulness. The text, I hope, is familiar to you. I hope it's more than just a text. I hope in many ways it's over the banner of your life because it certainly has been over the banner of my life for some time now. You gave it to us in the rock that we have in our garden, and so when I'm out in that rock garden watering plants or looking at plants, I am able to be reminded of that text. And let me read it to you, and then I just want to tell you some ways. Actually, I want to talk about six ways that God has been incredibly faithful. And this is the text. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. For the last number of years, I don't know how many it's been, in every annual report I have used that particular text to kind of share the things that happened within that year that I think we're especially grateful for. But now I want to take six of the overarching things that would span all of those years and try to share them with you a bit this morning. And I want to emphasize in this text, first of all, the graciousness of God. Certainly this text has a condition in it. It says those who wait for him, but God is faithful. Even when our waiting is fickle, and imperfect and impatient, which it has been often for me in these 42 years. This is not about my 
ability to wait well. It's rather about God's commitment to be gracious to us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not along with him graciously give us all things? And he has graciously given me things. Um, I'm going to share, I said six, and the first one, you'll have to indulge me a bit, but it has a connection to what is going to happen next Sunday, particularly in the fact that um, Sam Crabtree is going to be here and share from this pulpit. Sam is a close friend, a dear friend and colleague in ministry, and one of the ways I would describe Sam, and I hope it makes you want to be here to hear him next week, because he, he, it, will be, it will be worth the coming to be able to be under the ministry of Sam. But one of the things about Sam that I, I most often think about and often say in, his, uh, um, in the times that I'm with him is that, Sam, I'm a better person when I'm with you. I'm a better person every time you touch my life, and that has certainly been the case over the years. Sam was started out, I first got to know him as an elementary teacher in Watertown, South Dakota, where my wife grew up. And Sam was, I remember the evening, one evening was at the church there. We, for some reason, were there on, maybe it was a vacation Sunday, I'm not sure, but, but Sam was speaking that night, and I made a determination on that particular night that I, I needed to get to know him. I needed to get to know him well, because he knew things about God that I didn't know, and I wanted to find out what they were. And it began a friendship with Sam for a number of years. Sam, um, not long after that particular night that I determined to get to know him, shifted from being an elementary school teacher to being on staff at the Brookings Church, where another close friend of ours uh, pastored. And as he went to Brookings, he, he uh, stayed through three pastors. Um, the senior pastors left, and he, he just stayed. And so he had three of them that he stayed with during that time, which speaks highly of Sam. And in fact, the, f- the two first two both wanted to take Sam with him. They wanted him to go with them when they moved from one church to another. And, and Sam felt that God was leading him to stay there. And the next pastor who came in knew the value of Sam, probably felt much like I did, that they were better people with Sam in their life, and Sam stayed through them. And then the third pastor, um, he left that church eventually under the third pastor to go to be the assistant to John Piper at Bethlehem. That's a story in itself and a a marvelous um, picture of God's providence of how Sam took him from Brookings and moved him to Bethlehem to, to be there and ultimately was John's accountability partner in the sense that John kind of answered to Sam in one sense. He was, Sam was his assistant, but that was John's accountability on staff there. And so God marvelously used him there, and he's a gifted, incredibly gifted and creative and God-centered man of God. He has um, done an incredible work in the ministry of, of those churches that he's been a part of. And I often, often would find myself thinking about what it would be like, what it would be like um, to have Sam on staff, what it would be like to have him be my assistant and uh, be able to 
be better all the time because he's there with me, but just all kinds of ways in which I thought about that and thought about how good it would be. And then I came to the realization that God has allowed me to know what that would be like, not, not with Sam, but he came to help me to know what it would be like because of the man who's sitting there in that pew right now who is going to take this pulpit and, and begin to be your shepherd as lead pastor in this church. Um, many of you know the story of Jason's coming. We needed someone to come about 25 or so years ago to come and help us. And the leadership of the church determined that if God would raise up the person, then we would create the position. That's how we approached it. And so we went, uh, we went looking for a person. And when we found the person, created the position. And the person that we found was Pastor Jason. And he spent many years particularly working with youth and young adults. And then a few years ago shifted from being family life pastor to executive pastor uh, of the church here. And uh, his next step will be lead pastor. But in those years, particularly as we progressed on these later years, as he took on more of the role of which I watched Sam have as the executive pastor and assistant to the pastor, that kind of a position, I just realized what it was like to have someone like Sam on staff. And I am grateful for the gifts that God has given him and that is, that is one of the ways, that's the first way on my list of the ways in the big picture of things, how God worked on my behalf in, in all of even this transition in preparing somebody that can come and be able to hand off um, the responsibilities that I have to him and be, be confident that he's a true shepherd, that he loves you and will give his life for you. He's not a hireling. He's not going to skip out when the going gets hard. He's, he's going to be a true shepherd and has a keen mind and a, a warm heart and writes well and desires God's glory above all else. All of those, a lot of those things that I watched in Sam. And so I'm grateful, first of all, that, that he's going to be your shepherd. He's going to be the lead pastor here at Richland as we go forth. The second thing that I believe God has worked on my behalf and our behalf as a church, really, but on my behalf as, as pastor is he's helped us, helped me to, um, to, to be able to lead in a way that we would be a church that would worship God in spirit and in truth. And by spirit, I mean that we would be worshipers, um, and worshipers centered around certainly the scriptures and around truth and the Bible being foremost in all of that. But I believe that it is to be both spirit and truth. Truth has to lead and truth has to inform how we worship in spirit. But they're both critical. And so God has raised up individuals throughout my 42 years who have helped us in that endeavor. Um, it, it has been a progression as we've walked along and as, as um, music has changed and lots of things have changed in the church world in those 40 years. But, but people like Melvin, who played the organ when we first came, and Joy Palmer, who played the piano 
and how, how they endeavored to lift up Christ, how people like Lyle um, was a song leader for a number of years, particularly when I first came, and then Myron Schopp took over. And I'm grateful for the ways in which they desired that Christ would be magnified and, and led people in that way, led choirs in that way, that they would magnify Christ. One of the things that in all of that we were able to avoid was the things that people often call worship wars. We just didn't have those kinds of issues that rose up among us. And uh, it's, it's due to the way that leadership was led by many of those individuals and, and the fact that we had to do it together. Um, one of the things I'm grateful for is that we had to do it together. We didn't have the liberty here where we were located to have multiple services. And so we had to do it all together. We had to stay together. We didn't end up segregating ourselves by demographics, age demographics, but, but moved through it all together. Even as styles evolved and music changed, God helped us. And a few years ago, a number of years ago, really, there became a transition in the church world, and you began to see many, um, many worship leaders being raised up, kind of went from the idea of, of leaders to, to worship leaders in that sense who would, would have more of a hands-on direction of, of leading worship. And as we moved into the new sanctuaries, about the time when that became a kind of a critical issue for us here at Richland of, of what we were going to do, we didn't know for sure what we were going to do, and then God worked again. He worked in ways that I just marvel. In fact, as I go back to think about how it all came together, I, my head kind of spins because of how it just happened. And, and what happened was that, that Matthew came back. Matthew came back from school, back to the farm about the same time, or exactly the same time as we moved into this sanctuary and needed to make some transitions in regards to some of that kind of thing. And uh, we're grateful that he came back. I was, I'm grateful for a number of things in, in God's bringing Matthew, his God-centeredness. I mean, he came in with a God-centered paradigm that he wanted Christ to be magnified. Um, he, he understood things that we took from others, really, but a, a statement that we picked up early on in all of that, that we wanted our worship to be undistracting excellence. We, we, we don't want it to be shoddy, but we're not looking for finesse. We're looking for undistracting excellence, that, that it's not distracting one way or another, but, but it is not the mode of how it's delivered that people first see but it's God that they first see in the midst of, of whatever is done in regards to worship. And uh, the fact that Matthew had a heart that he wanted to have music that bleeds scripture, bleeds truth, and some of the songs that we sang today, I think, evidence that. Um, one of the ideas that we had hoped, and certainly we live in a, in a, in a broken world, and so perfection isn't always attainable, but you move and try toward it. And one of the just kind of ideals that I wanted, and, and Matthew understood that, and we worked toward it, was that the mode would be secondary. The mode of deliverance would be secondary. And by that, what I meant is when people would come new into our sanctuary, and they left our sanctuary, their, their response would not be, 
about the mechanics of whomever was leading in worship. It wouldn't be about the mechanics or the way it was done or how they did or didn't do it, but it would be a sense of God in the midst of us, that it would be a sense that we were led into the presence of God. And uh, I'm grateful for Matthew's humility and his servant heart and the fact that he was not only um, willing to buy into that whole idea and make it his own, but also that he raised up a whole cadre of people around him that had that same vision and that same spirit to magnify Christ first and foremost. That it wasn't about them, but it was about him, Christ. And so I am so grateful, I'm so grateful that God raised up Matthew to come. It's the second way in which he has worked on my behalf as lead pastor to have somebody um, to work with like him in this regard. I hope you're beginning to see these are the kinds of things. Pastor Jason and Matthew, just, just ways in which God was gracious to me, ways in which God gave me desires of my heart and brought them into to fruition by his hand, by his gracious hand. The third, the third thing that, that I think overarching all of this is sitting right there in that pew. And uh, I actually didn't know she was going to be here this morning till last night. But I'm going to say what I was going to say anyway with her here. Um, and I mean that. I, um, I'm, I think this is probably a pretty fair statement to make. Um, there may be a couple exceptions in this room to this, but for the most part it's true. That of all the people in this room who are sitting here this morning and hearing me speak, you have all heard me speak more times than she has. Probably, even though it's been 42 years. Because most, most of the Sundays, the majority, the vast majority of the Sundays that I have been in this pulpit here she has been upstairs or in the building someplace with children. That happened even two years before I came here. I was a youth pastor for a couple years, and even then, even then, she was doing ministry to the children in children's church. And it has been a blessing for me. I've, I've told Jason this a number of times, but I, I have never, ever had anybody come to me who has been upset about what the children were taught or... The, the way discipline was handled in those particular sessions. I, I have been able not to have to think about that really um, in so many ways because I could trust um, what she was doing with the children and that has been an incredible help to me, incredible help. I, I've had numbers of colleagues who have, have had issues um, with those kinds of things and I've never had to deal with them. And there's lots that I could say this morning about ways in which she has been a blessing to me and a help to me and God's working in my life to give me um, a helpmate like her. But the first thing I would say is her sacrificial spirit, um, her, her willingness to sacrifice her time. And one of the things that, that I get the vantage point of watching is all of those areas of her life. I've watched areas that she's done it in our home, 
and I've watched the areas in which she has been willing to sacrifice that in her career at the school that she's taught at for a number of years and in the community and then in the church. And so I get to see all of those facets of her life and realize um, the, the willing sacrifice that she has made for me to be here and to be able to minister here at Richland over these years. Um, her preparation for Sundays is, is ever bit as intentional as mine has been, maybe more intentional than mine. I, I get, in a sense, to do it full-time. She had to do it in her spare time, in the time after she did other things. And so I'm so grateful for how she has done that. And her deep desire, wherever God put her, in whatever of those spheres that she has been in, her deep desire to to be an influence for good and to influence people for Christ. And then her, her commitment to our home and our family and to others. Um, the rhythm of our week um, is unusual, and she's been willing all of these years to live in that rhythm, at least for the years in which she went back to work, which has been a long time ago um, in, in the school system. But um, the rhythm of our life is that I'm ramping up at the end of the week. At the same time, she's ramping down from work. And, and sometimes um, that didn't always fit very well. Uh, and she was willing to live in that and, and to have, have weekends that were not always weekends, in a sense, in that regard. And uh, one of the things I'll, I'll be forever grateful for is, is how careful she was in those times and in those weekends that if, that if there was ever an issue I, I know you think I'm a perfect person but if there were ever issues and there were plenty I'm not perfect um, she knew the timing she, she, didn't, she didn't bring those issues up on Saturday night she didn't, she didn't raise those issues on Saturday and very rarely raised them to be honest but knew the timing, knew the best rhythm of which to bring up those issues and, and help me as I ministered from week to week. She was a steadying influence, an incredibly steadying influence. She, she grew up in a Christian home. I didn't. And uh, she helped me to be steady. She helped me not to be fickle. She helped me to, to keep going when I wanted to quit at times in, in places. She just doesn't have a quitter's bone in her body and so would continue to push me at times when I needed to be pushed and needed to keep going. I made a statement a few weeks ago when I announced my resignation that um, she doesn't like change much and immediately when I made that statement I thought that is not a true statement. I made the statement and when I was talking about the two occasions when I thought God was moving us away one was early in the ministry when there was a church in the southern part of the state that wanted us to come. And then the one in 1988 when I actually resigned for a couple of days and you were gracious to take me back when I knew what a horrible mistake I had made in that. That one sealed, sealed it for me that I knew this is, this is where I would end my ministry. I didn't know how long that would be, but I was convinced that I would not go someplace else, that I would stay there. And so it, it it solidified me, but in both of those cases, she, she was willing. She would have gone. She would have followed me in both of those cases, but, but I also sensed a hesitation in her 
that had I listened to quicker, I would have saved myself some agony, particularly in the second event when I actually did resign. But I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful how she steadied me. She, she to say that she doesn't like change um, is a misnomer in the sense that sometimes she will change her purse two times in the same day. I've had that happen. She will change purses twice in the same day. She's creative. Um, one, of the, one of the greatest dangers I can have, uh, mistakes maybe I could make, is, is if we're on a trip and I need to take a nap um, and she's driving and doesn't have anything else to do but to think and to come up with new things and ideas, um, that, that isn't always a good thing for me to do. <laughs> and and we, we laugh about that. But she is incredibly creative and has been such a help to me and gracious to me. And I'm grateful for her life. I'm grateful for the, the wife that God gave me and, and would, not, would not have lasted uh, 42 years except for that grace in my life. And then number four is the church leadership that God has given me through the years here at Richland. That has changed some, and, and some of you were that are no longer, and, uh, and so I speak for all of that, but um, I had my last ever elder meeting last Thursday night, and I expressed some of these things to them, but, but I am so grateful for the leadership that God has, has placed me under in in this church and the accountability that I've had with them and the, the, the co-laborers they've been in the ministry with me. Um, they were so patient in those early years. I mean, I, I was so green and so had so much to learn in those early years. I, in fact, I say to myself, I'm not sure that, that I could be a candidate now, 42 years later, that would be considered had I come like I did then. But you let me grow, you let me learn, you let me find my way and all of that and were so good to help me. Again, leaders who gave me good counsel. And one of the things I'm grateful for is you always let me let the scripture be the guide. You, you, you were committed to truth and so you let me, let me dig deep into scripture and to to, to share it and let it be our guide. And I'm grateful for that. You always were concerned that we would stay unified and, and helped us to stay unified, even in the midst of diversity, even in the midst of different opinion. You, the reason you have um, boards and elder boards is for, for the, the crossing of different ideas and different opinions and those kinds of things. But even in the midst of a diversity, there was a unity always. Unity above all things that we kept and held to, and I'm grateful for that. Um, your commitment to our existence statement, the commitment of helping develop it, and your commitment to live by it, and that philosophy of ministry has been, has been precious through the years. And you took risks. You took incredible risks. One of the things that I have said often about the leadership here and, and more broadly, even the congregation, but the leadership first, is that if, if there was a genuine ministry need, if, if we could paint the picture clearly enough about a genuine ministry need that you would never turn away from it. You would never um, say we can't do that. And I, I witnessed that 
a number of times in my working with the, the leadership. I mean, some, some obvious ones are the times when we stepped out to expand buildings, but it's more than that, but that's a picture. In the, in the mid-80s, when we decided we were going to connect a couple of buildings together and needed more educational space as we began to launch out into children's ministries, and, uh, and it was a big step back then, a huge step for us to do that, and you were willing to do it. In fact, you were willing to actually build a second story. Our first commitment in building that second story was we would just, we would build it because it's cheap and we would just close it off until we needed it. And we started to build and we started to fill it up and we never did close it off. We needed it. And so as we walked along, God began to send new families. And that's another story of how God did that. But then again, we came to the point with our sanctuary where we needed more space. We, we were cramped. We were using an overflow, and, and we just needed another place to worship. And again, um, you were willing, and God stepped out, and God gave us this sanctuary. And then most recently, the, the activity center. But all of that, it's not about buildings. It's not about brick and mortar. It's about ministry. And and you've always been willing to do that, take risks, certainly in the locality that we're at. I mean, there were huge risks to do those kinds of things, and yet your willingness to do that is precious. And we moved to the elder model um, a few years ago, and again, in all of that transition, you have been there and been, and been willing. And then number five, Number five, here I'm coming back to preaching, and I'm not going to preach very long, so I won't keep you much longer, but I come back to you as a congregation. The, the fifth thing is you as a congregation, that you and God has given me again a, a great desire in my heart to pastor a genuine people of faith, and, and you have been that. Not perfect. We are, we are not perfect people. One of the ways I describe that is, um, is we're not in many ways a, a petty people in the sense because petty people won't drive as far to church as you're willing to come. We have our sins, but pettiness is not necessarily one of them. And, uh, and you have just been a people, a genuine people of faith. And I'm grateful. And, and what has, has been the center of that goes back to the book of Romans. What has been the center of that is what Paul writes in Romans about the obedience of faith. In the first chapter of Romans, he talks about the obedience of faith. He's writing this book to bring about the obedience of faith. And then at the end of Romans, he writes it again. And let me read it to you. He, he's got a doxology. And uh, this is what he says. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. And that's the kind of congregation that you are, that you understand the obedience of faith. Not an external painted on obedience, but an obedience that comes from a heart that has come to see that God has provided a righteousness outside of us. That's what Romans is about. That the power of the gospel and a righteousness that God has now revealed that is by faith. A righteousness that can be ours. And as we take that righteousness to be our own, 
and give Christ our sin, he changes our heart and he causes us to live out the obedience that comes from faith, from a new heart, from a heart of flesh that has replaced a heart of stone. And you have been a people who've been willing to ask the question, what's going on in my heart? That you live out your faith from what is happening in a renewed heart. You know what it is to be a people who make the gospel center. You're a gospel-centric people, and you preach the gospel to yourself more and more. Preach the truth of that, and all that you do flows out of that, which keeps us, keeps us for the most part from self-righteousness. We all can fall back into that, but that's the remedy to not, to not be self-righteous people, to not somehow put a kind of an invisible barrier that people who come into the church feel, even though we don't necessarily see it, but we've been able to be free from that, been able to be a people genuinely who live by faith. And I want to go to Romans chapter 12. I told you that I didn't want to quit before I got to Romans 12, so here we go. Look at verse 9. This is, this is the result of that. I'm not going to read the whole passage. You can read it all. I'm just going to read the first four words, and it says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Therefore, therefore comes in chapter 12 after, after Paul has talked about the gospel and about the gospel needing to be central in our lives and about a righteousness from God. He says, therefore, as you understand this and have embraced this, let love be genuine. And that's the way it ought to be. We ought to be loving people. We should be loving people. That's the fruit of the gospel that, that, uh, that we be that kind of a people. And I'm grateful for a people who are letting love be genuine, not painted on the outside, but that comes from the inside of us. And so thank you for being that kind of a people and letting the gospel reign in your life. And then finally, this morning, I'm grateful, as I said, I'm grateful for, for God raising up Jason. I'm grateful for Matthew and the gift he's been to me and all of the worship team. I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for the leaders that he's given me. I'm grateful for you as a church body that has embraced the gospel and let it be central. And, and then finally, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I don't have to leave. Now I'm going to step aside and I'm I'm shifting. I'm not going to be the leader. I'm not going to be the lead pastor. But I told the elders this the other night. There, there was something powerful when I wrote my annual report to say to you that I, I, I'm going to stay and I'm going to serve my Lord alongside of you. I'm going to serve my Lord alongside of you. A different role, a different position, a different place, a different spot in, in the congregation. But isn't that what it's all about? That all of us together serve our Lord, serve Him, and, and attempt to magnify Him and lift Him up. And so, so though certainly there's a bit of surrealness, to be honest, about this moment after 42 years, I, I'm looking forward to continuing to serve my Lord in a different place, but to continuing to do it alongside of you. That's a wonderful gift. I realize that uh, 
there are lots of corporate models that say you're crazy thinking you can do that kind of thing, but this is the church. We don't, we don't operate by corporate models. And I'm looking forward to coming alongside Pastor Jason as lead pastor and letting him be my shepherd. You know, I, I came to Christ in 1973. I was a senior in high school. I went off to college, had a few years to sit under somebody else, and then that all changed as I graduated. And so I'm looking forward to being shepherded. I'm looking forward to having Pastor Jason be my pastor as well and, uh, and ministering alongside of all of you. So God has been gracious. He's been incredibly gracious. He, he has just given me, given me, as I, as I stop to really think about the big picture of all this, he's just given me all of this stuff. He's given me the desires of my heart, desires that, that I don't deserve, but because he's gracious. And he's, that's the kind of God we have. I hope you know him. I hope you know his graciousness. And uh, we want to sing here today in closing a song that I hope just kind of puts a cap on all of this. Again, the worship team to lead us in it. And uh, may God just go forth ahead of us. Let's stand together.
is our prayer. Now to you who is able to strengthen us according to your gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. And all the people said, Amen. Go in God's peace. <laughs>